Greetings and welcome to another awesome edition of the Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having a fantastic day. I just want to apologize for the audio quality for the first minute or so of this podcast. I don't have my cool microphones with me, but I wanted to get this out into the world as soon as possible, so I'm just doing it on my phone. Uh, Anyway, I don't have a bunch of announcements for you. All I have to say is today was awesome. We we had a really cool service this morning. We kind of took a break from the normal church service schedule, and uh, we didn't really have any preaching today. We had a couple people from Sunshine City Counseling come in and talk with us about mental health and answer questions. And it was so cool. We had like probably one of our highest attended services in the COVID era. <laughs> and we had a bunch of great questions and the band was killer and it was great. So I just really hope that um, wherever you're listening to this, um, you get as much out of it as we did and enjoy our first ever mental health Sunday. I'm so excited about today. You have no idea. Um, We are having a mental health panel discussion um, with all questions that have been submitted by you, whether you're watching online or you're here in person. So very excited about that. I just wanna say before we call our friends up that first of all, you can go to diff.church. You can do all kinds of things there. You can sign up to volunteer, you can donate, you can tell us what you're praying about. You can just make a comment. I don't know. You can write us a whole novel. We'll read it. I promise. Um, And I want to say a very special thank you to everyone who responded last week um, to us putting out a call that we need some help in the nursery. We had a a couple of people respond, and that is so wonderful. I think for me, being like growing up in church, one of the best ways that we can help our kids have a positive church experience and not have all of the baggage that some of us carry is by starting at the very beginning and having them be loved and accepted for who they are from the time they're born. Um, So thank you very much. If you would like to volunteer in the nursery, you do have to be background checked. You can do it online, so find me after service. And I just wanna say, we have had the privilege of donating to some incredible things in the last month, month and a half. Um, We ask you guys to be generous and we like to be generous as an example. So if you don't know, any money that comes in, we take 10% off the top of it, we put it into a separate account, and we put it back into the community. So in the last month, month and a half, we have donated to um, help provide affordable counseling for members of our community, as well as to help out-of-work musicians and to help some teachers. So th- that's because of you. <laughs> so yay. If this were an evangelical church, I would be like, yay, God. <laughs> So I am going to invite our friends from Sunshine City Counseling to come. I'm very excited. Y'all can start making your way up here. Um, I'm not gonna preach today. You're welcome. (laughs) I actually don't think I should preach all the time. I think that you should hear other voices besides mine. I mean, I am wonderful, okay? But I don't know everything. (laughs) And if you ask me something I don't know, I'm gonna be like, defer to someone who knows more than me. So we have three people from our friends at Sunshine City Counseling. I'm gonna sit down. This is also very exciting for me (laughs) to sit during this whole service. So we have Olivia and Christina and Cassie, and I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves, and then we are just gonna go into some questions. Can we give them like a welcome? Perfect, so. That that was the most stressful part. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing your chair up? (laughs) Taking the microphone off and not, you know. (laughs) looking like a hot mess, but that's good. Um, Yeah, so I'm Olivia Peltz. It's so good to be here with you guys. Um, I'm the owner and one of the amazing uh, counselors over at Sunshine City Counseling. We actually just moved, so we're right in the heart of downtown, which is super, super cool. Um, But I have the privilege and honor every single week of getting to sit with different people um, all across the board, um, help them to kind of recover their true essence of who they were created to be. And so kind of practically what that looks like for me in my kind of unique uh, specialization uh, in counseling is I get to work with people who feel oftentimes disconnected and pretty lonely to figure out what does it look like for me to have meaningful and healthy intimacy in relationships. So that's something that I'm pretty passionate about and something that I love to do. So I'm super excited to be here. 
Wow, that's hard to follow up on. <laughs> um, so my name's Christina Rogers. Um, I'm also one of the counselors at Sunshine City Counseling. I just moved back to St. Pete. Awesome. Um, so I am in person now. I was doing a bunch of online therapy before. Um, I work with LGBT individuals um, just trying to navigate through life. And I also work with individuals just trying to bridge the gap between mental health and physical wellness. And I am Cassie Rodriguez. Um, I'm actually a native of St. Pete, so I've been here a while. <laughs> Love it, seeing it go through a lot of transitions, really fun ones. Um, I have um, really loved counseling for similar reasons as uh, what Olivia said, bridging that gap of um, where people are in need and hurting and pain. Um, and so I love uh, diving into really hard topics like anxiety and depression and grief and life transitions, and those are kind of my specialty areas. So we have some questions that have all been submitted. They're being asked in no particular order. So if your question is at the end, don't take it personally, okay? We're going to um, have as long as we possibly can and squeeze as much wisdom out of them as we possibly can while we have the chance. So first question, what are some of the unique misconceptions that we as believers have about boundaries in relationships? You love talking about boundaries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get this question almost every single week. People are like, boundaries? That's not loving. Uh, so that's one misconception is that oftentimes I think people in general, and I think those who subscribe particularly to like maybe the evangelical faith would say, well, I'm, I'm called to love everyone. And so like, how can, that, how can boundaries be a way of, of loving people? Because I should just, you know, always be serving, always be giving. I can never say no. And if it's in the name of Jesus, then it has to always be right and yes. You know, and so I think that that is one large misconception, if you can't tell, that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I don't think that Jesus calls us to kind of set ourselves on fire to keep everyone else warm. Uh, I think that we have to figure out what does that balance look like for each one of us uniquely, and that's going to Christina's boundaries are going to look probably different than my boundaries and probably different than Cassie's boundaries. And that doesn't mean that any one of us are wrong. But if we're being true and authentic to who we are and who Jesus has kind of called us to be, uh, then I think that that's really important. So that would, that's like the first one off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I have lots to say about boundaries too because I have really sucked at it in the past whether it be in relationships I did um, campus ministry for like eight and a half years and then a couple other nonprofit jobs and just like died um, I actually met these two at the peak of my death a uh, spiritual death where I had like only given away I'd understood Jesus I mean he sacrificed on the cross we just saying about it like limitless like um, and so sometimes we can misconstrue that like limitless uh, idea of like we're just supposed to give 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 and then we have nothing left um, and there's this kind of misconception around it's selfish to like love yourself or it's selfish to say no um, and really have learned over the last couple years um, what it looks like to bask in God's love to like love myself um, first take care really good care of myself first and what an abundant much more abundant friend um, and Jesus follower um, you know, wife and child and sister, I actually get to be, get to really be Jesus much better um, to those around me because I've loved myself really well. And I'm just happier. I mean, I remember the first time I saw you were like, you look better than <laughs> the last time I saw you when I left St. Pete. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> cool. Next question. How does internalized homophobia affect mental health and how can I overcome it from a Christian perspective? That's deep. <laughs> but um, definitely a common question, um, especially for people that uh, identify with um, the LGBT community and um, are practicing in the church. Um, how can it not affect your mental health? I mean, it's, it's basically attacking your self-expression, your identity, um, and your self-worth. So I believe that it's hugely tied to mental health. And if you feel like you do have internalized homophobia, you're not alone. I think a lot of people within the LGBT community have that, as well as people that don't identify with the LGBT community. So um, I think seeking out help um, and being able to identify if it's actually your voice saying that, 
or something that you learned um, in your upbringing or um, just within the people that you surround yourself with. So I think a big way to help with that is just asking yourself, is this actually how I feel or is this something that I was taught um, to believe to be true? Anything else you guys have? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is um, being willing to name the things that seem really scary within ourselves. You know, and I think that for a lot of us, it can feel kind of like perhaps shameful. And oh my gosh, I don't, I can't, I can't ever tell anyone this. You know, and, and shame grows in the dark. And so I think that the the sooner and the quicker that we are able to acknowledge those things, even within ourselves, and say, hey, maybe I'm struggling with this, or maybe I don't have it all right, or maybe the way that I was taught growing up, maybe that's not the end-all be-all. And can I be curious and willing to kind of have like an open hand with it? Because I think any time that we have a closed fist on any particular belief system or tenet or value or anything like that, I think that that is when things can get really harmful um, in the ways in which that we kind of live that out. And so I think any time that we can go from a closed fist to beginning to open our hand and say, you know what, what, what else could this be? You know, what is that within myself? How can I be curious? You'll probably hear us talk a lot about that, of just like being curious of our own stories. Um, I think that that's probably one of the most loving things that we can do, not only for ourselves, but people uh, in our kind of inner circle and, and even just our friends and family in general. So, yeah, I agree. I just, I think when it's not just about, the question is about homophobia, but it's about something much bigger than that. So I don't think I could say much um, more other than that closed fist to open, but typically when there is homophobia, there's usually a lot more black and white thinking, um, and there's usually a fear that they're not loved in some area because of something about them, um, and so it's it's quite sad, and um, yeah, just a bigger issue of like not being able to receive all of God's love uh, or be accepted as a loved one when there is that homophobia at, at play, so yeah. yeah. And I just want to say, I'm not going to jump in very much, but if you're a member of the LGBT plus community in any fashion, you're good here. A hundred thousand percent of you, you're good. We love you. Okay. If you're dealing with a substance abuse issue that is layered over past trauma or past mental health issues, should you pursue sobriety first? Or can you pursue sobriety and recovery at the same time with treatment? That's a great question. Um, it's actually quite intertwined. It's, it's all connected. Um, every person who struggles with substance use or any kind of addiction, there's always trauma every single time, whether there's memory or awareness of it or not. Uh, people don't just become addicts. Addiction is about relieving pain inside of us. Um, which is really sad because in our society, they're demonized, right? Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, there's just a lot of judgment out there when it's just, and hey, I would even say I have addiction issues too. Mine was a lot of workaholism or relationship codependency, and I actually have to fight that even today. And so addiction really is just about relieving pain inside of us. So um, there are resources out there like uh, you know, any kind of anonymous stuff, um, Celebrate Recovery or Alcohol is Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Codependence Anonymous, all those kinds of things that can be really quick, easy entry points for learning about addiction. Uh, and then, of course, counseling is, is always uh, going to be a helpful tool for talking through the addiction stuff, but really getting at the heart, what has happened in our life. It's not what's wrong with you, it's what's happened. Um, yeah, and I think it, it depends, too, in some sense of, um, you know, what kind of substance abuse there is, right? So if it's more of heroin or cocaine or, or those types of things, then, yeah, like, 100%. Like, we need to put you in a detox center. And, and not just, though, whenever you do those types of – go to those types of services, you're like, well, we're only going to treat, like, the medical piece. There's always the tandem of psychotherapy, and the reason being for all the reasons that Cassie just said, you know, I've, at the heart of addiction, it is I don't want to feel this way anymore. And so some of us find that, I know I heard some of you guys talk about, you guys have seen the social dilemma, so y'all know technology is strongly a form of addiction. And so, um, you know, we all do this. You know, uh, Gerald May, he's a, an MD uh, and has written a lot of really cool books around kind of the 
the section between um, therapy or counseling mental health and addiction. And a lot of what he says is, hey, we're all addicts, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Some of us um, choose alcohol, some of us choose um, sex, some of us choose technology, some of us choose relationships, some of it, right? And so um, the, I don't know if we can clearly split and say, let's just talk about your, your, your body and then let's just talk about your head kind of thing. It's we are whole beings. And so I think if we can start to address all of who you are, then actual change can kind of begin to happen. But it's just when we, let's just talk about the addiction or like, let's just talk about the trauma. Then I think that that can be even more difficult and harmful to segment out further, right? Um, it's kind of like the idea of, you know, if you come to me and you're like, hey, Livia, like, you know, I'm really struggling with alcohol abuse. And so like, I really want to work that out. And if I only treat the behaviors, around the alcohol misuse, then really functionally what I'm doing is I'm putting a Band-Aid on an, an issue. It's kind of like you going into the ER and saying, oh my gosh, like my, I have this giant gash in my leg and the doctors are like, cool, cool, cool. Let's just put a Band-Aid on it and you'll be good to go. <laughs> no, you're like you're gonna clean that out. We're gonna figure out what is going on and are there anything, is there anything else kind of going on, other arteries that were severed or whatever, right? Doing the deeper, harder, better work. Are there, or not are there, what kind of resources are available for mental health for people who are unemployed or maybe on a limited budget? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a, a couple different places. I know Suncoast um, Mental Health has a lot of services um, that are low cost, some even free um, as well. I, I know that you know a lot of the heart behind what we do in private practice is, hey, how can we make mental health more accessible? Um, that's something that kind of came to light over the last several months and something that we as a team have been trying to figure out. And so which is why we kind of created originally, it was called the, the Better Together Project. And it was specifically for um, LGBTQ plus individuals to have access to mental health help if they couldn't afford kind of private practice rates, which can be really expensive and can be a huge barrier to entry. And so um, being able to say, hey, we're gonna give you low cost, you know, like 40 bucks, like kind of what you would pay for like an insurance copay, because um, we believe that everyone has a right um, to really good mental health access. And so that's even expanded beyond just the LGBTQ plus community. And so now we're looking at creating uh, a 501c3 nonprofit for the Better Together Project, so um, which, different church has been very kind to donate a thousand dollars to so that way we can provide even more um, low-cost services for people so that's something that's unique kind of to sunshine city um, counseling because we don't ever want someone to say man i i am suicidal and i need therapy badly but i can't afford a hundred bucks a session so i guess i just don't have the privilege to be able to work on my story we don't want that to be the case <laughs> for anyone and so whether it's you kind of come to us and say hey you know, I, I would like to apply for, uh, to work within the Better Together Project. Cool. Suncoast, I know, has a lot of uh, resources. I know there's other resources, too. They just, I don't know them off the top of my head. Um, but I can definitely work to kind of put together, like, a resource list for you guys if that would be helpful for your community. And, um, yeah. Do you know of anyone specifically? Um, I just know that there's, like, certain projects or, like, ministries locally. So there's this one called Unveiled for any women or men who... Um, struggle with sex addiction or have experienced sexual abuse. Um, so you can just type in unveiled um, and, and that's something too. It's I think 20 bucks for six months. Mm -hmm. Also you can ask, <laughs> don't be afraid to ask. Like I went through a lot of counseling last year due to some stuff. If you've been around for a while, I've talked about it. Um, and I talked with a counselor and I was like, I, I can't. I literally can't do it, but I also can't keep existing the way that I'm existing, and we were able to work something out. So the worst thing someone can do to, is just say no, like I'm not able to do that, which is they're allowed to do, right? We're allowed to set boundaries. Um, but you have not because you ask not. <laughs> and also, you know, do some research, and there's plenty of ways, like Instagram accounts, wonderful, not gonna fix you, okay? Sometimes we really have to do the hard counseling work, but there are places to start and there are places to jump off. Okay, how can we navigate and address social justice issues without getting consumed by them to the exclusion of everything else or just overwhelmed by compassion fatigue? 
Um, so the, the nonprofits that I was working with for a long time were the foundation of them was God's Heart for Justice. He talks about justice more than anything else in the Bible. And so learning that as a college student and throwing myself in, uh, part of my boundary issues were, was like this um, sense of like a savior complex. I never thought that. I never call it that. But um, this understanding that well, as a follower, I'd kind of defined my walk with God um, or my spirituality as, well, if I'm not doing something about it, like I'm just like every other talking Christian who says a lot and sits on their ass and um, hope that's okay. It's um, totally cool. <laughs> I, my, my mouth just goes sometimes that I don't think about it first. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and yeah, what's the point? Like, there are people dying, there are hurting people, there are people who, um, there's injustice happening. Um, and so I wanna make my life about what counts. But the problem is, is I got so focused on the doing that like I shared a little bit before, um, where are the boundaries, you know? Um, I was making $7,000 a year for several years, not able to pay my bills, I was not going to the doctors, um, because I was just focused on so much doing that I wasn't doing my fundraising to get paid to pay my bills. Um, and it just cost me a lot, um, mental health-wise, physically, obviously, financially. I'm still recovering from that today, even as a 33-year-old. So um, it's really important for us. Like, yes, we are called to be co-laborers. Um, we are called to be part of justice now more than ever. I think it was actually always true. We just are seeing it plain as day now, right? All the injustice at play. Um, but we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first. Um, otherwise, what are we offering? We're offering the world a very sad looking, you know, um, yeah, where I was at two years ago. <laughs> so, um, and really we grow a lot of resentment too. Um, that's part of that, like lack of, if you feel resentment, most likely there's boundaries that need to get created. Um, and then we kind of like hate the justice movement, which is not what anybody needs. So taking good care of ourselves, but also understanding that we are the answer to the problems in the world as well. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what am I gonna say? Um, it was great. Yeah, I think, Again, the, like, the, the thing that I have tried to hold very closely for myself um, as a, a white woman in today's kind of world is how does my privilege prevent me uh, from allowing other, like the idea, the concept of taking space and making space. I am someone who by default can pretty easily take up space and have a voice and people listen to it, right? Um, and so for me, in kind of the world in which I exist, and it's like, well, how, what does it look like for Olivia to make space for other people? And I think when we can kind of, because it's such a, an internal work, right? I mean, I, I, I have a lot of colleagues um, who are, are people of color, and I've asked them this question. I'm like, what, is it, like, what does it mean to be anti-racist? Like, what can I do? And all these sort of things, and then they always were like, Olivia, like, you you gotta check yourself. And can you ask yourself hard questions about like my growing up years and what was I taught and the things that I internalized. And so I think for me and the work that I do and, and holding space, right, for people as they're also trying to figure it out themselves, um, whether it's, you know, I get the privilege of working with uh, men and women of color and holding that space or uh, being able to challenge uh, other white men and women in that same kind of concept of, so where are you called to make space for others? You know, if you were someone who historically kind of takes up space. And I think when we can be curious about our own stories, um, it can allow us to again kind of go from, no, this is my right or whatever, to maybe Maybe there's other perspectives, maybe there's other experiences that people have had that are different than mine. And how can I be curious about that? And what does that have to teach me about my place in history? Um, and everyone's on a different journey, you know? Like I, in my family, I mean, I'm one of five kids. Every single one of us are in a very different, unique spot in that kind of journey of uh, you know, what does it look like to make space for other people versus kind of taking up space? And it's not that, you know, oh, they haven't arrived, they're so ignorant, they're so whatever. It's, that's just their story. And so what does it look like for me to move towards them and to ask good questions and to challenge them and not to like 
be better or to have kind of this like ego-y like I've arrived and I'm more enlightened than you but it's like everyone's on their own journey and when we can have kindness I think towards other people's journeys and stories and again be curious and thoughtful and ask good questions I think some really cool things could happen um, I always try to go back to like I want to believe that we're all doing the best that we can and if that's true then how does that like cause me to react to other people who man that's so inflammatory like why would you say that you know uh, to you know someone else who I'm like yeah that's great okay cool um, so that's kind of like my kind of perspective personally and how I hope to kind of challenge and, and kind of hold space for others as well. Awesome. How do you respond to yourself in your present moment if or when you feel like praying about something has not changed your perspective or brought you any peace at all? <laughs> um, I think that when um, we are praying a lot and something doesn't happen, um, it te we tend to get really frustrated and get angry at God um, instead of looking internally and thinking about like how we're maybe affecting that. Um, you know, sometimes we feel like we're walking down this path and we can't see um, what we're walking towards or if we're moving in the right direction. Uh, and I think that sometimes we just need to clear the dust um, or wait for it to settle uh, to be able to see the, the clearer vision. Um, there's another saying that says, you know, when we're succeeding, we don't actually know that we're succeeding because we're usually struggling. <laughs> um, so I guess like my advice in that would be to, you know, keep praying and, and keep looking inward and seeing how you can um, affect that change. Um, and don't give up. Um, you're obviously there for a reason. What, what are you learning in that process? Um, I can think of a couple of things and then I'll share like what I actually do. <laughs> um, I've heard prayer described once before as not about the results of what you're praying about, but about the engagement and remembering again that we are in deep need of God, um, that that's actually the purpose of it. It's about just like turning our hearts and remembering, oh crap, like yeah, I do need you God. Like I am not capable on my own. And so I think as far as that question, just like, um, Sometimes we, yeah, we think we know what we want or the things that we're praying for are good things and we're just powerless in them. Um, and so trying to just like keep that perspective too. When something's not happening, it's like maybe somehow in some way, even if it's about someone else that really needs some help, Jesus, I like need to like just remember that you are in control. Remember that you are good um, and that you are watching over and that that's actually what's needed most right now. Um, and just trust that you have goodness and that you have good intentions with whatever that other thing is that needs you to. Um, but what I actually do <laughs> um, is that I do like on occasion like remember that um, that piece of prayer because I think we always just have I grew up thinking you pray so that something changes um, and yes like to some degree but that new perspective is helpful but um, I am a very impatient person anyone who knows me well will call me impulsive and just like restless like when I go to the grocery store and I'm really excited about an item that I bought I tend to eat it on the way home because I'm just so excited like a, a snack not all of it <laughs> like raw chicken or something no like a snack I just am like really impatient about things I'm I want or I'm excited about it is a character flaw um, but yeah, so meditation's been really helpful for me. I don't know if anybody's tried that before. That's been a huge um, practice for me in my own lifelong journey with anxiety as well. Even if it's like 30 seconds of deep breathing um, or doing those like one minute headspace app um, meditations. But because the heart of it is about um, the right now, not what happened uh, 30 minutes ago and I made a fool of myself or said something I shouldn't have or what's gonna happen when I talk at different church and I'm so nervous about it tomorrow. It's about like right now, how can I come into this moment and let go of the past and the future? And so that's a really helpful practice. And again, headspace, 30 second or one minute meditations, you know, game changer. Um, this is a Bible question. <laughs> so when we talk about Romans 7, um, which is all about spiritual warfare and not like you do the things that you don't want to do and you end up 
not doing the things that you do want to do. Um, one of the lines in that passage in Romans 7 is, I can never do what I want because of my broken nature. Who will rescue me? So what does this mean like in terms of mental health? Can I just pray something away? Am I really not able to heal myself? Am I fundamentally... I think the core of this question is, am I fundamentally broken? Yeah, when I saw this, I was like, yeah, that's... That's it. That's a good question. <laughs> they were both like, you, tag, you got it. It's <laughs> like, just because I went to seminary doesn't mean, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, so Chris Hewart has written The Sacred Enneagram and The Enneagram of Belonging. And one of the things that he has said a lot within both of his books um, that I've come to really appreciate is holding the tension of we are the Imago Dei, right? Each one of us represents a certain aspect of who God is, which I think if we think about that just for a hot second, like that is really freaking cool. We are also incredibly in need of Jesus um, because I can't ultimately save myself, right? I can't ultimately fix my own problems. There's a lot of, in terms of what is my responsibility and, and what can I own and and, and how can I have hard conversations and, and work through those things? But I think so much of it is being able to hold the tension of both, you know, like extreme joy and utter despair and grief. Because I don't think we can say we are perfectly pure, nor can we say we are, like as Martin Luther has said, like we are as worms, right? We are just bad, bad, bad. It's like, what does it look like to hold kind of that tension of I do represent a part of who God is. And Christina represents a different aspect of the character of God. And, and Cassidy represents even another aspect. Okay, so how does that inform me, right, as, as someone else of my own kind of brokenness? And the fact that, like, I can't just, like, white-knuckle my way to my own answers. Um, that we are... As much as you know, we are created in the image of God, we are also uniquely wired, hardwired, as Brene Brown kind of says, for um, connection and belonging. And I think that when we can get behind this, this fact of that, I'm not just like saved to Jesus, but like I'm actually saved to one another, um, that I can hold space and show up for another person and reflect back to them their goodness even if they can't see it and even if they're, they have lost sight of it because of maybe the choices that they've made, um, the things that have happened to them, the things that they've chosen to do, um, that as another human being, I think that that's what's, why counseling is so powerful, you know, that it isn't just like you come into a room and you lay down on the couch, which I've had people tell me that they still think happens, which is just funny to me. I'm like, you can lay on my couch, I guess. But like I tell the teens that I work with, I'm like, your mom might think this might be the most expensive nap you've ever taken. If you want to do that, that's fine. But you don't just come in, like talk about your things and like you leave, right? Like I'm a human being too. Like the things that you tell me matter and they affect me. And I can't change your problem. Like at all. And so what, what is my job then as a counselor? If I can't save you any more than you can save yourself, right? It's to help you clarify and to be a witness to the change that's going to happen in your life. And for me, as a believer, someone who believes in Jesus, I think that he does a lot of that like mysterious, cool kind of work. But there's also this thing called common grace, right? And so can non-believers, people who do not subscribe to like Christianity or to a Protestant faith, whatever, are they not able to like make significant change or growth in their own life? Well, no, that can't be true. So there's this element of like common grace, which I think is really, really cool that like, that's why non-believers can do really sacred work and like do really cool things too. And it's not just like, we should only listen to Christian music because they're the only ones that, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like some of my most like powerful spiritual moments have been like, at like a rock concert, like my very first concert was at Jimmy Eat World. It was awesome. Uh, in eighth grade, I also was like, what is that unique smell I've never smelled before? <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, gotta go, you know. Um, <laughs> tangent about my life, but um, yeah, and so I think at the heart of this question, right, is like, isn't, is spiritual warfare really real or, um, you know, 
just kind of brokenness in general, but it's like, can I, like, can I actually save myself? Or like, can, does my suffering matter? And like, if it does, then like, why won't God heal it? <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't know. Like, I have a friend um, who's written an amazing book on suffering. Um, it's called This Too Shall Last. And if you, like, have any kind of suffering in your life, like, wow, I can't recommend this book anymore. Um, but she struggles with chronic pain. Like, she basically developed a crazy autoimmune disease when we were in college, um, like, the year before we became roommates. And, um, and there is no cure. Like, she's, like, 0.001% of population who, like, has this, like, blah, 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 itis. Um, and like, why doesn't God heal her? I, I don't know. Um, but that doesn't mean that like, he's any less good. I think that when I can come up with an answer for every single thing and every single problem, then I think that that takes out the mysteriousness that is God. Um, and I'm okay with that kind of like gray space. Um, because of like the, the, my own work, but again, we all have to kind of come to terms with our own darkness, you know. And I think it's in those moments, at least this has been true in my life, when I am brought to the end of what I believe at that time to be like, wow, I don't think I can get to the end of myself anymore. Like he's always there, in like the most usually ridiculous and obscure ways, <laughs> and it's not just like through prayer, through going to church, through singing a whatever song. It's like through a friend bringing me a meal, through someone like holding me as I cry because my brother just died, right? Like those are the moments in my life where I'm like, okay, like I can't save myself. Like I remember when my brother passed away when I was in college, there was nothing that I could do to make myself less sad. Like there just wasn't. Like, I could go outside, I'd still felt sad, couldn't bring my brother back, you know, all of these different things, but it's like, and throwing myself kind of in the arms of Jesus looked like being vulnerable and sharing my pain with other people and allowing them, like Henry Nowen talks about, like the power of presence, that my friends didn't even have to say anything and I f could feel like the warmth of healing like rushing through my body. Like that's the cool stuff that I love, you know, that and like blowing like, when I have conservative Christians who come to work with me because they find out that I'm a Christian and a therapist, they're like, oh, perfect. And they get in my office, they're like, oh gosh, there's incense burning in here and oh, you know. Um, but being able to kind of blow their minds a little bit about like, hey, I think there's other ways that Jesus can kind of like show up and like change us, you know, so. It's a very long answer, but I get really into, I get really into it. <laughs> I feel like I need to know the answer to this preemptively. How can you possibly take care of your mental health and be a parent at the same time? <laughs> I am not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I feel constantly pulled in every direction, and I never get enough sleep. <laughs> Yeah, I am also not a parent, but as a non-parent that has, for the last 10 years, had all friends who are parents take care of yourself, you matter too. Whenever my friend has a baby shower, I get her a gift for herself. I know that probably might piss her off a little because she's like, I might need baby stuff too. But I'm like, no, my role as your friend will be don't forget you because I had a mom that forgot about herself and... I lost out because of that. Um, she was so caught up in making the perfect life for us that I lost her, um, and I didn't get care for, cared for and didn't have that model of taking care of myself because she didn't take care of herself. So take good care of yourself. Yeah, that's true. I am a parent, but I don't know. <laughs> My little dude is almost two, and I'm still like, how did this happen? Like, what? Uh, so I think... One thing that comes to mind that I often have conversations about is this kind of concept of what does it look like to mindfully parent, right? Um, if we are not mindful, aware, careful, uh, I am going to naturally give my child the same experience that I had. The good, the bad, everything in between. And so for me, of, um, even before we had canon, of recognizing like, how do I wanna show up 
as a mom, as a wife, just as a person, because I'm, hear me when I say this, like you are more than a mom, you are more than a dad, right? When your kids become like the center of your world, like <laughs> there's a natural developmental process that happens with little kids. Like they should kind of be a little narcissistic, like a little bit when they're tiny, but like when they're 15, it's not cute. Um, so please, for like society's sake, like do not make your kids your world because it's too much, right? Um, but what I mean about like this kind of mindful kind of piece of like, uh, when I remember when asking myself this question and I ask myself it often of, what do I want to give Canon and any future kiddos that we have? Like, what do I want to give them that was maybe different than what I had? And so that instantly means that I've got to do some things very differently, you know, that um, I, I work, you know, I work two or three days a week. My mom did not do that. So then what does that automatically mean? Well, it means that when I am home, like I am home and I'm chilling with him and trying to be as intentional as I can, but also recognizing like, I want him to grow up knowing that emotions and feelings are good and okay and not something that are scary to be brushed under the rug or anything like that. And so it's like, then I have to be willing to model that. So if, if emotions, the darkness or the hard, scary feelings, if they're too much for me, well then they're definitely gonna be too much for him. So anytime that he has a particular experience, I'm gonna be like, just stop, just stop it, you know? And, but instead wanting to have a different approach of saying like, hey, it's okay that you're really frustrated. How can mommy help you? Which right now it's like, cause he doesn't really talk yet. He just like kind of grunts and like, will say certain words of like, no. You know, or and which is like the cutest way of saying no. I'm like, you're so cute. Um, but like throwing like random stuff everywhere. I'm like, oh, you're really upset. Okay, how can mommy help you? You know, but to Cassie's point, it's like to be mindful in your parenting is automatically going to mean that you're going to have to think of yourself. It's like you got to put on your mask first before you can save anyone else, right? And so if you are never going out on a date night with your significant other, well, do it. Um, because the strength of your partnership or your marriage is really important to your little people. Like it's super, super important. And if you're like not going out on lady dates or male dates or friend dates, do it. Because I am, I guarantee you, I'm a far better human, not even just a mom, but a better human when I can get together with my besties and just hang out because they're gonna like see me, they're gonna call me out on things, they're gonna like fill my cup up in a way that my husband just can't, nor is he responsible for doing all the things for me, nor am I to him, you know? And so to think of yourself in terms of uh, what do I need and what's gonna cause me to show up fully for the people who matter the most, because oftentimes it's the people who are the closest to us that get the worst of us. Uh, and I think that's just, that's sad. You know, and so it's like, if you do have a family, like the Lord has given you that family. So like, what do you, that's like your little opportunity to um, show up fully yourself and to teach like these people and to model it, to teach them to like do the same in their other spheres of influence that they're gonna grow up and engage in the world, which that's really, really cool, so. Awesome. So this is gonna be the last question. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> Um, it says, my parents, who are ministers, are emotionally affected by me coming out as gay. How do I support them in this journey to full acceptance? And I'm going to add, how do we support any of our people in our coming out as anything that they necessarily, like, freaks them out or overwhelms them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's key, right? Um, so I think that you have to probably separate your own emotional well-being from your parents um, because nothing that you are going to do from here on out is going to make them fully accept you, it sounds like, from this question. Um, they're supportive of you, but what does full acceptance actually mean to you? Like, what would it mean for you to be fully accepted? And that might mean something different for everyone that identifies differently than um, the way their parents are. Uh, so, yeah, I think that you have to start to realize that you're not responsible for your parents, um, like, fully accepting you. Um, you've been open and honest with them, and it's, it's them supporting you, but what would full acceptance actually mean? 
um, what would being fully embraced by your parents actually mean and how can you convey that to them um, in a way and maybe not even set like an expectation um, but just get clear on some boundaries about what full acceptance actually means to you. Um, I know that for me, um, when I came out to my parents, um, them calling my significant other my friend was not full acceptance. So to me, I had to set that boundary and tell them that, you know, you say that you fully accept me and, and embrace me as a person, but by you doing that, it really hurts me. Um, and that's not full acceptance to me. So I really had to get clear on what I needed from them as far as you know, being fully accepted by them and in my family. Um, I have a good family member who um, came out and you know, his experience being really about um, trying to have a relationship with them and really centering it around that. I want to have a relationship with you, and so I need you to help me <laughs> have a relationship with you. I know you love me, and so I want to help you know how to love me. Of course, that's all dependent on where the parents are in their emotional health and their capacity. Um, obviously, it's not always true that way. Um, and I'm thinking about, too, just I, this is not about my sexuality, but um, I had a lot of tension with my parents. Um, particularly, ironically, in my walk with Jesus, they are Christians too, or would identify as that, but um, they basically disowned me um, when I was in college and chose to follow Jesus a certain way. I moved actually to the south side of St. Pete intentionally, me and my friends just trying to take a fight against um, the racial injustice that our city has been founded on, and so my mom would not talk to me after that. Um, I grew up not being able to go downtown even, if you've been around St. Pete for a long time. Downtown was dangerous for the white northern folks. And so, um, yeah, and so there was just a lot of choices like that or marrying a Latino man um, that created a lot of tension for my relationship with my parents. Obviously, it's not a sexuality issue. Don't want to make it the same. Um, but it was really challenging because it felt like I wasn't enough. Um, and I imagine that is probably kind of at the heart of everything. Um, that, oh, I'm actually not loved for who I am, because this is my choice, which represents who I am, and so you're saying that you actually don't love me. Um, and so it took a lot of boundaries for me as well um, under that kind of topic uh, of, like, I actually can't be on the phone with you if you're going to just degrade me um, or constantly try to change my mind or blow up my marriage. Um, I need to go. Let me know when you're ready to talk more civilly. Um, or respect um, my angle, you know, uh, which is no kid has ever should ever have to do. Um, I have a much healthier relationship with them now, and they have learned to respect my boundaries 10 years in, but it took a long way. Um, and so be patient. Um, you know, I think parents who are willing to do their own work, and my parents started doing that, going to counseling, that's really made a big difference for me and for my friend I mentioned earlier, his parents coming around and getting the point where saying like, I want a relationship with you. And so I, that's what matters to me most and know that like, I'll do anything for a relationship with you. Um, and I hope that you have that experience as well. The only thing that I would want to communicate is that I think it takes an incredible amount of vulnerability and an incredible amount of courage to speak your truth, maybe in a family that you know probably isn't going to accept you for who you are. And I think that should be honored uh, because I think that, like, it gives me goosebumps, you know. I, I have a family member who did that, and, and I remember, like, one of the first things I said to my husband, I was like, wow. Like, that takes a lot of freaking guts to say it in a very conservative family. <laughs> to say, you know what, like, I'm going to honor myself. This is my truth, and this is where I'm at. Um, I think inevitably when you do that, you have to also not only have boundaries, but to have people who are going to be safe for you when especially maybe your family is no longer that safe place, and that has to be grieved um, because it is sad when the people who you long to be known by the most because of their own story, not because of you, are no longer able to do that. That is gut-wrenching and awful, but it is not your responsibility. And so I hope, I hope to communicate that, um, that you are brave, 
and courageous and to surround yourself with people who will also reflect that truth. Um, because oftentimes the, the loudest voices in the room are the ones, um, you know, it's like one person and that's all I can hear when like the clamor of all the other people are the ones who are actually speaking truth. Like I hope that you would hear that instead of like the one um, voice that might be saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this and da 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 and you betrayed me and, and all those types of things. Um, so, yeah. And I just want to kind of say as well that we absolutely should be always setting boundaries and we need to be honest, but in any regard, whether it comes to sexuality or any other part of your life that you have kept hidden for a long time or have not felt the freedom to express, look how long it took you to come to terms with it to the point where you were able to give a voice to that part of yourself and to speak truth. You were, over, you were just as overwhelmed, <laughs> right? Like at some point you were just as defensive to yourself or you had to process this and you've had time. And I, I don't wanna say give people time because we want the people that we love the most to be instantly like, well, I love you anyways. <laughs> like I love you, who, that's, what, that's the response that we want. But our response typically when we are confronted by something that we just didn't expect or we didn't know about ourselves or something, we get overwhelmed, we get emotionally flooded, we get frustrated or upset. And our first instinct is to be like, no, no thank you. I don't know what you're doing, you're changing, and you're not who I thought you were. Like, we get really upset about it. And I get really upset, like, just normal stuff. That's how I react. So for something that's so deeply personal, can we, while setting boundaries, hold space for them to be overwhelmed? and to be upset. And like, I even think like it's, it's not a sexuality issue for me, but starting different church, that was not a direction that my family ever planned for me to go. Um, and I spent many, many, many years hiding how I felt about other people, which you wouldn't think is a big deal, but it took a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that no matter what, we will be open and accepting and inclusive of all people. And so when people reacted negatively to that, I had to be like, well, look how long it took you <laughs> to accept yourself and what you believe. So maybe just like you said before, you can always give people space and sometimes you need to get, make sure they have space away from you. <laughs> but if you can, be gentle with them too. And maybe we can create the kind of space that we wish we had for ourselves. So that's all. <laughs> Can we just say thank you? I think that was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>